Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. Hi guys, thanks a lot for joining me this week for what's going to be our final episode of Season 2. As many of you guys know, I'm currently studying my doctorate in physical therapy. Um, so this is starting to take up a lot of my time. I'm getting ready to go on my clinical placements. Also at the same time, just scheduling issues with some guys, trying to get them on the podcast. It's starting to lead to having some gaps. And I know for you guys listening, I don't want to leave any gaps with like a steady stream of podcasts coming out each week. So you guys are getting the information you're tuning in for. So to help us here, guys, we're going to take a short break in the podcast till the end of May. This is going to give me some time to get my physical therapy coursework stuff done and get some more interviews scheduled. So therefore, we can kick off at the end of May once again with really good, high-quality guests. Some of these guests have already got lined up, guys, and it's already looking like it's going to be another all-star season in season three. For some of you guys who have messaged me privately as well, just saying, you know, once again, thank you very much for all your support and your continued endorsement of the podcast. Please keep it going. Please keep sharing this. Please keep leaving reviews, guys. It's really, really appreciated. I know some of you guys have asked, say, why don't we get some more British guys on the, the podcast? Hey, honestly, guys, you know, I've reached out to a number of people. Some people have been able to do it and slot into the next season. Some have said, you know, it's, it's not for them, and some just simply haven't responded. So for the British guys who are asking, if you happen to know anyone from the tackle space you think would be a great guest, by all means, send them my way as well. But in the meantime, guys, while you're waiting for season three to drop, please go back, check out some of our previous episodes. We've got some great guests throughout season one, season two. Definitely worthwhile going back and having a listen. And for the guys who are based in the UK, check out our Facebook page at Monarch Human Performance and also our private group at the Tackle Performance Training Group UK. Trying to set this group up here just to help us share and information across multiple organizations and help get everyone better. All right, guys, now with that out of the way, let's talk about today's guest, Giovanni Yeruta. Giovanni teaches and trains elite domestic and foreign military units for a more strategic approach to their physical preparation and rehabilitation. With a love for all things human performance, he's traveled worldwide to work with all manner of athletes from interstate Chicago basketball to Olympic level sailing. Like all Exos educators, his love and understanding of biomechanics and his relationship to psychology are leveraged to the benefit of all he is privileged to work with. He's heavily interested in technology solutions to further the betterment of human condition. Athletes that find themselves working with him will note his attention to detail, intensity, and infectious energy. In this episode, we talk about his time in the Marine Corps, where his interest in strength conditioning came from, his role as a tactical education specialist at Exos, and how training and education has evolved in the tactical community. Good morning, Giovanni, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, no problem. Thank you very much for, you know, finding some time in your schedule. Sit down. I know you're a busy dude, but you're a guy I've had on my radar for quite a while. I've seen some of the, the awesome stuff you've been doing over there in Arizona with Exos. So, you know, I definitely wanted to bring you on and have a good chat to you, dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to share. Nice, mate. Nice. Now, obviously, me and you have had a chance to catch up a fair bit, Giovanni, but... Um, for anyone who hasn't come across you in your background, dude, can you just tell us, you know, where your career started out and where you're currently at? Sure, sure. So, so for me, um, I started, I guess, as far as physical performance goes, I, I started getting a love for it when I was in the Marine Corps. So I'm a Marine Corps veteran. And uh, that's when I started to learn. I don't want to say learn about physical performance because I didn't know anything about it at the time. Although if you asked me, I did. Uh, and from there, um, went to school for it and uh, eventually uh, gained 
over at Exos, a secured position as a tactical education specialist. And I won't go into it too much because I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more then. But as far as what I do right now, um, I'm currently the tactical education specialist and my role revolves around the education of working with military populations. Uh, historically, at least in the US, we've not had the best uh, experience when it comes to physical performance. A lot of it revolved around mental toughness and grit, which arguably can't be measured in the same sense as like a 1RM or a 3RM can. Uh, I also participate in the execution of a program called Accelerated Return to Duty, which is where we take those guys who traditionally haven't been exposed to physical preparation programs and expose them to one in such a way where their job is about getting better physically so they can go back and do their, their real jobs um, and, in the end, help them live better lives. Did I answer that question? Yeah, that's awesome, mate. That's really cool. Dude. And I mean, what was it then that, you know, what, what drove you to go into the, the Marine Corps first? You know, was there always a desire you had as a, as a young man, you know, to, to go down that route before going down this sort of route? It's funny that you bring that up because um, if you asked me when I first joined up, I joined up at a high school. And if you asked me then, hey, uh, did you see yourself going into the Marine Corps for a long period of time? The answer was no. Um, the recruiter would come to our high school and I was one of two out of my class of over 800 kids that even entertained the notion of talking to the Marine Corps recruiters. A number of other kids talked to other branches, but I was one of two for the Marine Corps for that, let's call it season. And um, the reason I went in is because I didn't like the direction that my life was heading in. Uh, I, I had a lot of friends at the time and a lot of my family members who were just con content with just coasting through their particular situation. So. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of um, guys that I knew, like and I feel like a lot of us already know what this is like. You leave town for like let's say six to eight years. You come back, and the kid that was working at that one store when you were a senior in high, well for us senior in high school, uh, is still doing the same job. Maybe he got promoted one time, but he's still doing the same job. And I just saw where I was heading. I didn't necessarily have the best. Uh, I had some really good, solid friends that were good models for, for society, and I had some not so great friends, uh, and I, could, I didn't want to head down that road. So I saw the Marine Corps as a way to kind of get out of that. Um, now, the interesting part of that if, that, if that's not enough, but the interesting part of that, was when I did my first deployment to Iraq, I received a letter in the mail, um, and it was written by a child, mm -hmm. and I, I realized after reading it, this is a letter that I wrote as a kindergartner, and my kindergarten teacher put this letter in escrow, in escrow service where it would get delivered to me when I turned 18. And I received that letter, and inside that letter, it talks about like, hey, I hope I'm a soldier, man. I didn't even know what a Marine was. Yeah. Uh, but the, the notion, there's this like huge gap of where I was in kindergarten all the way up to graduation of high school where I, hadn't, I really didn't have any intentions of joining the Marine Corps. But somehow, like I had the prescience when I was in kindergarten that that's something that I would be doing when I turned 18. So um, as far as like why I went into the Marine Corps, it's because I, I wanted to get something out of a little bit more out of life and just kind of coasting through. It sounds a bit cliche, um, but it, it, for me, it's just I needed some way to kind of gain control. I knew that if I went to college, that I was just going to kind of be content to coast through. And I, I needed a way to just kind of prove to myself and teach myself a, a little bit about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I saw the Marine Corps as one way of doing that. Um, that's also where I kind of realized a little bit more about myself and where I wanted to end up. Like 
obviously on this podcast for human performance, like what I wanted to do once I was finished. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome, dude. Like you mentioned briefly before, it was just your, your interest within, you know, training human performance came during that time in the Marines. Um, obviously the Marines are, you know, well known for having very high fitness standards and the guys in there are, you know, very, very heavily into it as well. So was it just like, once you hit the ground running, you started to develop that interest or was it like your, your inner soul? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because you, you brought up a couple of things that are like, I'm going to say this outright as a Marine. And I think a lot of Marines who are listening to this would agree. Uh, they like, they are very much a extremely physical culture, but that doesn't necessarily mean they know what they're doing when it comes to physical performance. So when I was in the Marine Corps, again, it was, I think it was during my first deployment. Yeah, it was. I started lifting, uh, you know, in theater, like we were, you know, if you weren't patrolling, then you were you were training in the gym. And for any veteran that's deployed, they, they know what that's like. So for me, when I first entered the service, when I left boot camp, I weighed about a buck fifty, a buck fifty-five. I wasn't very big at all. Mm-hmm. And everything that I had been taught was, well, if you're a good Marine, you're gonna do the exercises that we give you. The exercises that we give you, you're gonna do a lot of running, you're gonna do a lot of sit-ups, you're gonna do a lot of push-ups, you're gonna do a lot of pull-ups. And I was thinking, like, well okay, those are the four that they showed me. So that means the more I do that, the better I'll be as a Marine. Uh, it wasn't until I got into a program, even mm-hmm. though it wasn't necessarily logical, inside Iraq, I, I put on 17 pounds in two months. Damn. And again, the Marine Corps is a very physical culture. When you put on that much weight in such a short amount of time, like I saw a huge difference in the way people treated me and the way they perceived me. It was night and day. You know, I think if that happened over months, it would have been a bit more subtle. But for me, since it happened in such a short amount of time, it was weird yeah. seeing how people treated me. And, and then for me, it kind of like set this trajectory. It's like, whoa, I want to help other people get there. And again, I have to stress, like, I didn't know what I was doing. And it wasn't until I got out that I started like learning more about that. Like yeah. when I left the service, my ego was a size of the Exos training facility. It's like a 10,000, 20,000 foot square, square foot facility. That's how big my ego was. I thought I knew everything, but it wasn't until after I left the service that that journey started uh, opening my eyes as far as what actual physical preparation is. So, nice, dude. And wh- wh- once you got out of the Marine Corps, wh- whereabouts did you go for, uh, for your schooling? Good question. So uh, I did two things. I worked for an organization called Local Motors. It was an automotive startup. They built this car called the Rally Fighter that's been in like the Transformers. It's been in Fast and Furious. It's been in Forza. But there I kind of gained this experience around working with technology in a startup culture. At the same time, I was going to a school called, I was going to Arizona State University. Okay. And that's when I really started to learn like, wait a second, like everything that you thought you knew about exercise doesn't really that's not how it's really done, right? Because now I'm getting exposed to academia and formal research. Um, and from there, like, it's, it's, it's interesting. That, let's call it four-year period, over time, I started, firstly, obviously, I, I gained a little humility in that first two years. But towards the back half, I was like, okay, I'm starting to figure this out. I'm starting to understand what physical performance is. I didn't even say physical performance. I was probably saying exercise, uh-huh. but uh, I started out thinking that I knew. And then that's when I did my internship at Exos. And at Exos, that's when, that's when I really realized that was when the, the, the crux where I had no idea what I was doing, right? Like that was the real world and the real world versus academia. They're not the same in academia versus the Marine Corps. They're not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I had to play a lot of catch up. Um, that's how I interpreted it. 
So I had three months, essentially. My internship was three months long. And I identified that I was missing these huge gaps. And what I would make up for, well, since I was missing skill and I was missing experience, I'll make up for in work ethic, in tenacity. And thankfully, I managed to secure a role over time uh, with a little luck. But if I could say, like, there were two things that kind of led me down this path as far as tactical human performance, obviously, the Marine Corps being a big one, uh, but the... The, the luck and the tenacity were probably two of the biggest factors. Um, just because, again, I had to make up for all these things that I was missing. That's cool, dude. So. That's cool. And obviously you mentioned there, you, you initially, out of school, you know, you're intern of Exos, and then you got your foot in the door and built your career up with them there as well. And then obviously you're in your, uh, the ta tactical education specialist role now. So how did that come about? You know, how was that Great. conversation approached? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that because that's kind of a, I don't want to, go into it too much but again luck and tenacity but um it started obviously with that internship i didn't get hired out of my internship that's very you have to be super exceptional for something like that to happen here's what happened because i was working at that startup organization and i developed this unique experience working with technology like 3d printing etc nauseum some weird stuff um, they asked me to run a help run a, a research study with a Fortune 100 company that we're currently partnering with. And I'm, I'm going to keep their name out of it, but it's mm -hmm. Fortune 100. It's tech. If you Google Exos, you'll probably find it. But um, they asked me to run this four month long project. So I got selected for that. If the internship was my foot in the door, that was like my hip in the door. Right. So I'm running this uh, research project that revolves around movement analysis and camera analysis. And this is back in 2013. So think about where that stuff is now and what we were doing then. But after that had completed, and again, I, I like to think I knocked that the delivery and execution part out of the park as far as that went. Uh, but that was it, right? Like that, that was the project. And it wasn't like they had a job waiting for me. So uh, I actually ended up having to leave and I was working at a smaller place uh, for a while. I want to say for about eight months. During that time, I was still maintaining communication with Exos. And throughout that whole process, I had actually applied to work with Excels in four different roles. Uh, I, I think there was a project management role at some point. There was a corporate wellness uh, position at, at some point. Uh, there was a position with Porsche at one point. But long story short, for whatever reason, um, I wasn't getting selected for those positions. I do happen to know that one of the positions, again, I'm, I'm, you know, I just finished my first paid project with Excels. And one of those positions, I was competing with one of the former strength coaches for Oregon State. You know, okay. so who are you going to pick, right? So uh, it was getting to a point where I had gotten to the point where it was either A, I go back in the military, or B, uh, I got approached and they're saying, hey, Giovanni, we got, we got this one role for you, this tactical education specialist role that we think you should apply for. And at this point, I was like, okay, but it hasn't worked out well so far. Again, that's why I bring up the tenacity, because I think for some people, they would have stopped long before. I'm not saying that if you just work hard and it'll, your dreams will come true, that's where the luck comes in. It's not going to work out like that for everybody. But for me, um, <laughs> that was my last shot. I was actually mm -hmm. considering going into the special operations community. And I know for a lot of the veterans hearing this, they're probably like, yeah, there's always, oh, I was going to be a Marine. So, um, but again, those were the two choices I had set before me. Uh, thankfully, with my career at Local Motors, I, I developed uh, some really good friendships. I had some people, they asked me to film some stuff uh, to, as a demo, whereas most mm -hmm. people would have a phone to record them coaching. Like I had a video crew come out and it was professionally edited. Uh, I had a, a, some really good help 
And that actually set me apart from my, from whoever else was competing for the role. And I ended up uh, securing it. And from there, like, again, I hit the ground running. It, it was to put things in perspective, again, bringing up that tenacity to bring it back to the internship, what I was making up for and lack of skill experience. I would show up here and I'm not saying this is what you need to do, but I would show up here at 5.30 in the morning and leave at 8 p.m. at night. Uh, I was showing up here and, and the coaches would say, hey, you don't have to be here. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, but you know, I don't know anything about, yeah. about performance. I need to learn from you guys. So, because once that three month door shuts, like, I don't know if I'm going to come back. So I, I had to reap everything that I could. So I think that that kind of paid off when it came to the education role. And again, like um, in my opinion, like it's been super gratifying because I've worked with populations that people only wish they, they or they hear about. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm very grateful in that regard. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. And how long have you been in that role now? Six years. Yeah. Six years, which is weird to say, <laughs> but <laughs> I want to say it's about six years of doing this and the roles obviously changed. Um, like obviously the past two years, things have gotten quite weird. So I can imagine with government, um, you know, with, with, uh, COVID and the pandemic, like they have to pause on non-essential training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, now they're playing catch up. So that's been my interpretation as far as why things have slowed down. Totally makes sense to me. Like you, you kind of have to keep your, it's just like, a, an athlete, you don't want to risk the athlete getting sick right before they, the season starts. Right. So you're going to have to play, play your cards smart. So. Exactly. Exactly, dude. Now, <clears throat> obviously, you've been in the role for six years, and that's obviously developed over time. What was it like stepping into that role? You know, day one, if you can cast your mind back to that, that first year, and what your what your main ambitions were in that year, and like how's that grown over the six year term? Dude, that's like yeah, that's a huge, <laughs> that's a funny question. That it's just because, man, like um, I think this is common. I speak for a lot of uh, exos hopefuls when they join on the team, like. Like you're in this like state of denial for a while where you're like, well, somebody messed up. Like, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. So that first year um, I was uh, anxious and I I was applying that same kind of work ethic that I demonstrated in an internship with the role because, you know, here, here I'm working next to people who have been doing this for 15 years. Right. So how am I going to, again, catch up. I was playing catch up. So what I started doing there in the first year, maybe year and a half, is everything these other coaches were teaching, everything they said, uh, I would not replicate. I would like, I wish I had my notebook because uh, some of the coaches who know me are going to laugh because it looks like, you know, if you remember the movie Seven, where it's like there's a lot of like writing that's super tiny. My, my notebook looks like a, like a serial killer's notebook. That's how small <laughs> the text is and that's how dense it is. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, um, I was again, like if a coach, I remember, I have a distinct memory of coach Hobgood over in the, our Florida facility. Awesome. Best storyteller I've ever met in my life. I was watching him teach Olympic lifting, an Olympic lifting workshop to some guys. I don't remember uh, who they were exactly, but I do remember this. He would get, um, it wasn't working out well because for a lot of these guys have never done Olympic lifting before, right? This is their first time, or if they have. That doesn't mean they've been doing it right. So he's teaching them the fundamentals. And I could see that that it wasn't going quite right the way he wanted to. And I knew that because of the way he would take his hand and rub it on his neck like that. Like he would pull his his neck back. And for me, at that stage in my career, I was like, okay, clearly he's uncomfortable in this situation. I'm writing this down, right? And and it's like, okay, what's he going to do next? And then what he would say next 
would inevitably fix whatever he saw. So then I would say, okay, in that situation, he saw this, he said this, and, and, and that would just kind of help speed up the process as far as making up for lost time as far as what I needed to do. It helped immensely because at the same time, like I was being asked to help teach this. I'd say the first uh, four to six months, I was kind of sitting in an assistant coach position. And then after that, then they had me delivering. And then they're obviously, you know, if you want to master anything, you have to teach it. Um, you have to know it like the back of your hand. So I was rehearsing uh, until 11, 1130, when I had to be up at six the next day to start teaching. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I got really good, really fast. I'll say that. Um, in addition to that, like the amount of rehearsal that I did then, and I still rehearse, but the amount of rehearsal that I did then from a theory standpoint, from a practical standpoint, I think would drive some people mad. I think <laughs> there's a video of me walking up and down the turf, rehearsing to myself. I look like, I'll be honest, I look like a crackhead because I have papers in my hand and I'm like just talking to myself. Not to say that like I'm saying things verbatim, like a script. It's yeah. just, can I stitch these, these concepts and ideas together in a way that makes sense? One thing I do, I think I do very well that I, that I um, learned about myself is I tell stories very well. Mm -hmm. At least that's what people tell me. And that's something that kind of set my teaching style apart as well. And that, I, I guess, to kind of go into your question is like, how am I different now versus then? Now, I think I'm much more dynamic in my approach. I'm much more practical in my approach. I'm less, I'm not to say that I was rigid, but there's more of an art to it. And there's more of an elegance to it. So mm -hmm. with the way I structure my sessions, the way I structure my instruction or, or my teaching, it's very elegant. And on the surface, you know, it's like telling the time. When uh, people walk around and they, and they look at their watch just to note the time, right? Like they're not thinking about the gears and mechanisms and fundament that drives the time itself, right? Mm -hmm. They're just looking at, oh, it's, it's 1225 right now. Um, whereas the watchmaker, looks at the time, yes, but he also wants to understand the underpinnings of that particular timing device. So it is with coaching, where for me and teaching, where for me, like, yes, I see the end result. And on first appearance, it looks simple. It looks elegant, just like when you see Usain Bolt run the 100 meter, it looks like he's done it a million times and he has. But for the expert in movement, they're seeing the coalescing of each lever, when that foot hits the ground, the ground contact time, the shin angles, et cetera, ad nauseum. Like for me, I think both teaching and coaching, because they are to, they are interrelated, but they're also separate. Yep. Uh, I think my approach has gotten much more dynamic. If we wanted to get into the nuts and bolts and X's and O's, I guess you could say I've been become more uh, open to auto-regulation in my programming and all that. But I, I think it's just uh, let the athlete be the driver sometimes, mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yep. So I, I kind of feed off the audience and again, Upon, upon a initial inspection to the outside observer, it looks simple. In my head, I'm running a thousand scenarios, but it looks simple on the on the from the outside from the execution standpoint. Did I answer that question? Yeah, that's that's awesome, Giovanni. So one of the big things you mentioned there as well is like the art of teaching and going in and the education package as well. And that's one of the big things like me and you were chatting about with your current role is it's not just coaching guys up and that, but also working with organizations with that educational package as well. So how's that responsibility of in your role, like, you know, how you deliver an education and what's, what's the, the demand for that now within the tactical community? Okay, great question. I think for right now, just because of the current situation with the pandemic, the demand has kind of fallen off a little bit. I don't mean that like negatively, it's just, mm -hmm. that's the way it is. I'm sure it'll come back mm -hmm. soon. Uh, but generally, as far as like 
what they're what I'm trying to do for these guys. Uh, and this kind of is related to the previous question that you asked, like, how did I, how do I do things now versus how I did things then, then I would try to deliver the letter of the contract. So if the letter of the contract said 40 hours course, which is, yeah, that's what I'm teaching then. And it's covering these particular concepts. I would cover those concepts, almost vanilla, right. Mm -hmm. Um, wrote for lack of a better term. Whereas now what I'm trying to think of is like, okay, what is this guy going to remember? Is he going to remember French contrast or is he going to remember the difference between strength and power, you know, physically, like when he's doing the movement? Uh, and why is that valuable? Because at this, at, with these guys that I work with, they're not, they may never see me again. So I have to teach with the concept of, of and when I say teach, I don't just mean theory. I mean, practical, like, hey, here's a band mobilization. Oh, your back feels better. Here's why it feels better. Hang on to that. Let's remember that. Um, my goal is to teach them a few basic concepts from, again, going to the watchmaker analogy, let's let them understand the underpinnings of their human movement, not to the degree of a strength coach or physical therapist, or let's say physical practitioner, but rather from a human standpoint, so that they have the general building blocks. Okay. When X situation occurs, meaning, oh, my ankle hurts or my Achilles hurts or my hip hurts or my back hurts, which is pretty normal for tactical. Um, what do I do about it for me specifically? Oh yeah, coach show me that movement, the stride stretch with band mobilization. We did that a million times. I know how to do that versus what I would have done in the past is like, hey, here's band mobilizations, here's flossing, here's cupping, here's all these different things, a million tools. And I guess what my goal has become now and to kind of, further the point is like the teaching what am i trying to do is when that person leaves that experience be it 40 hours 80 hours 120 hours uh they have a good solid understanding of one of three concepts mm -hmm. like whereas before it was like i, I showed them everything now it's like one of three things so like if you go and ask them hey what did you learn about oh i learned that for my Achilles, the reason it hurts is because I lack ankle mobility and the things that I need to do about my ankle mobility, but it seems like I respond really well to cupping. Uh, and it seems like I respond really well to band mobilizations. And I need to do those things before I go punch out. So like, I hope that answers that question as far as what my intent is. These guys, I'm only gonna have them for a finite amount of time. Uh, yeah, sure. I could show them everything right and true as far as strength and conditioning goes, but they're gonna forget a lot of it. So what do I want them to absolutely leave with an understanding of? Like, what do I want them to leave with? That one of three things that's going to improve their life. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, that's all good, dude. That's all good there, mate. And obviously, I want to pull it back a little bit to, obviously, as a guy who's had boots on the ground in the Marine Corps and now, like, you know, very much teaching and education in the tactical space. From your own standpoint, Giovanni, how do you see, like, the differences within training uh, let's go for a double here. So not only in training, but also the education side of things, how's that changed since you were back in the core to where things are now? Okay. Uh, Ooh, that's a big one. So it depends on the branch. Okay. So, so with the training, so for example, the Marine Corps will typically rely upon, um, train a trainer, which means like they'll go send their, their guys, whoever wants to go to a school and they'll learn in three to four weeks time. And then they'll go take that solution back to their units. And part of that is big, in my opinion, is budgetary. Like they're kind of like, that's how they have to do things. Whereas other branches have a little bit more flexibility from a budgetary standpoint. And they might be able to send guys to us multiple times uh, over the 
years, right? So there's guys that I, I get for, you know, like just every year. Uh, and then, can you repeat the other part of your question again? So like from an education standpoint as well. So obviously okay. how, how guys are training balls. So like, you know, for the guys, okay. like the yeah. each branch is approaching you, are they still just coming in? Being like, look, Giovanni, we want you to cover like, you know, very much the basics on just, you know, body mechanics, looking after soft tissue and stuff like that. Or are guys starting to come back now and be like, hey, we want to start layering more complex stuff on top of this. I would say both. It's okay. probably both. Because the guys who come in repeatedly, they need a refresher, but they also need, they want to know, you know, okay, what else can I do? Because they also understand, I, I mentioned it earlier, like we're going to do one of three things, right? Well, if you've come, if you've been doing your homework uh, and you come back and you've been nailing those one of three things, like you're ready for a little bit more. So for those guys, uh, I'll tell you this. I, I recently ran an experience where I had about four to five repeats and the others were new. So that's an interesting thing, right? Cause you'd think, Oh, well, those four to five old guys, <laughs> that's for lack of a better term. Uh, they've done this stuff already. So are you just going to go over the vanilla stuff? Yes. But I'll call out, Hey, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. Cause I know they've probably forgot that or yeah. they weren't able to grasp that just yet. Whereas for the new guys, like it's all new for them. So I have to be very judicious in how I approach that. Now, if I have all guys who have been there before, okay, cool. We can really get after it. And that's happened plenty of times. Um, and that's where I'll, again, I'll, it'll be more individualized. Because at this point, we've established a relationship. I kind of know how they, how they move and what they tend to struggle with, which is funny to say that out loud because I guess I've <laughs> been working with them for a while. But I'll tell them, hey, man, remember this thing that we worked on a year ago and like you've been staying on top of it? Okay. Here's how we take that to the next level. So uh, from an education standpoint, I will say, and I, how we always have to, I think there's a lot of people out there that think that these guys need to know everything. Mm -hmm. That's not possible. So for example, Exos has been around for 20 years. And uh, you know, when I'm teaching, I'm teaching a representation of collective experience of teams, 20 years worth of teams in a context of a week. That's, that's hubris. That's not going to happen. So rather, um, I think it's just like this. I think for a lot of us, when we work with athletes for a while, we may, we may think, oh, like we need to switch up their program. And I'm speaking from a novelty standpoint. We need to switch up their program because they're going to get used to this stuff and they're going to get bored. But we have to be careful that it's not us thinking that we're getting bored, right? Just because it's a bench press and they've done bench press over the past few years and you've programmed that for four different groups, it doesn't mean it's like, uh, not unusual for them. It doesn't mean that it's rote for them. So that's something I have to keep in mind too. Like I can get nuts with what I can teach them, but I, I have to respect capacity. I'll give you a good example. So I was running uh, an experience for guys where it was an education experience. In the week two, we start teaching them how to program for themselves. And the reason I do that is not so they can program for themselves. It's just that when they secure a program, be it their own program or somebody gives them one, they can kind of go over it with a filter. And does, do they understand the logic chain that has occurred to create that program? And then most importantly, is it a good fit for them? Yeah. Um, I remember this one guy was, and this guy was mega smart. He's telling me, he's like, bro, yo, you got to turn the fire hose on, man. This is too easy. This is too easy. I'm like, bro, just hold on. Just wait. You know, and so, so, so we went through that whole week, right? And then the second week comes around. And again, it's like slow drip, slow drip, slow drip. What he doesn't realize is there's like, in my opinion, there's like a, a finite load there that we're playing just like with physical management, uh, management of loads. Like we're that accumulation over time. We have to respect that. 
because on that Thursday, that second week, on that Thursday and Friday, when we start programming, it all starts to connect, but he's fried at that point. So um, I would say it's always kind of like a light touch and I'm respecting some people just want to get after it and learn, learn, learn. But dude, we're operating at the pace of our brain. And I feel like sometimes people want more. I get it, but I call that chasing a dragon. Uh, in its context of training, chasing the dragon is like you, you leave feeling crushed. More is better. You can see why that would be relevant with tactical. Mm-hmm. More is better. I got to leave feeling like I got destroyed. But whatever it is that they're chasing, that dragon, it, it, they're never going to catch it. And it's the same thing with cognitive capacity, in my opinion. Like, yo, we can drown you, but <laughs> a dragon, it doesn't exist. You ain't ever going to yeah. catch it. And we saw that on the Thursday and Friday where he was feeling really worn out. And it was hard for him to connect the dots just simply from a fatigue standpoint, uh, from, you know, exposure. Did I answer that question? Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I mean, I've got similar experiences from coaching perspective as well of athletes. It's just like, oh, John, you know, this this program's pretty easy at the moment. It's like, yeah, cool. I understand that. It's probably a little bit beneath what you think you're at, but you don't understand the long-term project around you as well. Yes. And like you say, in a couple of weeks time, you're going to be coming back to me and be like, John, can we go back to that stuff? I need a day off. So I'm like, you know, it's just like, okay, so just careful what you wish for right now, bud. Yeah. 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 You're cooking pot roast, man. That's why I have to keep telling some of these guys we're cooking pot roast. You can't, you can't throw that on the grill. Exactly. You know, I was just actually, it's funny you bring that up. I was just telling one of my guys that my wife, whenever she bakes cookies and I feel like this may be a common problem. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I inevitably, every single time I burn myself because I have to have those cookies as hot as possible. And sometimes you just got to you just got to wait for them to cool down a little bit, you know, before you just throw them in your mouth. So it's the same thing with learning. It's the same thing with training. Like it's a slow process, but it's about consistency. Mm -hmm. So definitely, man, definitely. I mean, with regards to the education packages for the tactical community, obviously at Exos, you guys are working quite heavily with the military. Are you guys embedded with uh, first responders as well? And are you helping those guys out with their program? Yes, I would say it's less frequent. Again, I think it's it's coming from a nature of budgetary budgetary restrictions. Yeah. I don't want to like, I, yeah, speaking from my own personal experience, I, I feel like it kind of sucks. I, I, I don't like it because I want to help these guys out. What I'm seeing, uh, again, from personal observations, this is what I'm interpreting. It's just my opinion. But what I'm seeing is that, you know, a city pays for, let's say, the police department. They have a budget set aside for the police department. And on the books, it looks like they're not working, right? If they're getting training, they're not working. So therefore on the books, yo, we're not going to pay for that because we need you in the field. So I think what we see again, like, cause I don't, I'm not privy to those kinds of conversations, but what I see is that a lot of these guys could really use this uh, but budgetarily speaking, I don't even know if that's a word, but speaking from a budget standpoint, it doesn't make financial sense from a return on investment standpoint. Therefore, we're not going to pay for it. So what ends up happening oftentimes, either A, uh, actually, and this is rare, but it does happen. A governmental body will step in uh, to help fund that, which is always awesome because it kind of takes a lot of pressure off everybody. Mm-hmm. Or B, a third party charitable organization will pay for that. And that does happen. It's less frequent. Uh, but, but again, like it's always great when it happens because these guys, again, it's just like they're historically underserved. It's the same problem we see with the big branch, right? Like the big Marine Corps, big Army, big Navy, big Air Force, big Coast Guard. They, 
it doesn't make sense to pay for that kind of training, even though you and I know that does, man, probably anybody listening to this knows, yeah, you're going to get a return on your investment. But uh, to the, for lack of a better term, to the taxpayer budget standpoint, doesn't make sense. So I hope over time, and I think it will over time improve because that those numbers will inevitably start to show. We could all prove that right now. But again, it's like kind of winning over the city, so to speak, to get them to see, hey, it makes sense financially to send your guys for at least a couple, a week, at least a week to kind of get them to understand how to take care of their bodies. Yeah. I think something we, we, we take for granted uh, is in sport, when somebody gets hurt, obviously they have access to a physical preparation team or a physical care team. They have medical staff, et cetera. But if it gets bad enough, they kind of hang it up and they retire, right? With tactical populations, that doesn't happen. They stay doing their job, right? So, so for me, like I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I had, again, I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. I had bad knees. I had a bad shoulder. So many of my friends are still in dealing with those same exact issues because nobody's shown them, hey, like, and that's where I come in. Hey, you don't have to live like that. Here's what you do about it. There was an occasion where I was giving a guy a screen, a functional movement screen. This is our first introduction together. I had talked to this guy less than two hours, right? Like there's an intro and then there's the eval. But uh, it was the inline lunge and it was atrocious. I'll be frank. It was one of the worst. And what do you know? This guy was dealing with lots of knee pain for about five years. And in the context of that one evaluation, I got him out of knee pain the light bulb for him started going off. Like he didn't realize like, holy crap, wait, what? I don't have to live with knee pain. Uh -huh. So I see that with a lot of our, when you say tactical populations, like the public uh, first responders, like law enforcement, police, fire, EMS, uh, same thing. Like I know they're dealing with pain. They don't know there's a strategy out because nobody's shown them. So it's kind of frustrating because I know those are like easy wins. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy, mate. I mean, I was, I think it was Nate, Nate Pillness chanting. He was saying about, um, there was a fire department who had a physical therapist on staff, you know, who probably had a six, six time return on investment, you know, for her salary of like cutting costs petition for a strength coach coming on board as well. And it was like, no, we're not having it. We don't want it. And I, I, I just think that's yeah. like in practical, it's a workout side of things as well. It's just like end of the day, like I think organizations are going to pay for their people. They were going to pay for their training or they're going to pay for their injury. It's just deciding yeah. right off the bat, which one are they going to pay for? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good call out. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating, man. I, I think a lot of people just don't understand what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, I was shoveling uh, 12 tons of rock. The other, it sounds weird. Yeah. 12 tons of rock just cause no, I, I've been working on my backyard and I was shoveling 12 tons of rock and my father-in-law was like, Hey, don't hurt your back. And it's like, bro, like you've known me for who knows how long you still don't know what I do for a living. Yeah. Like that was not a big deal for me, but for him, it's like, I guess people just don't understand what we do mm -hmm. in that regard. So, man, but saying about injuries and stuff, Giovanni, obviously you mentioned um, in the start about uh, some of the work you do as well with the Accelerate Rehabilitation Program as well. Could you talk a little bit about that, dude? Um, you know, is it a case of guys come to you for their rehabilitation or do you go on on, uh, on base to see them? Ah, good question. So I would say this, we, as far as the ARD program goes, the way it works is it's kind of like a retreat. Uh, I shouldn't say that. That makes it sound nice. Um, <laughs> a, a, a refuge. It's a refuge. So here's what I mean by that. So back in the day, okay, if uh, you were on an operational unit and you got hurt, and then this is the same thing with me, like, and I know any veteran listening to this knows what I'm talking about. 
Like if you got hurt, you just dealt with it. If you got went to physical therapy uh, or you went to the aid station and you got put on what at least the Marine Corps we call light duty, meaning you're not doing the same kind of physical training that everybody else is doing, uh, you got made fun of a lot. We got, uh, I remember being, I was limping. I'm not kidding. I was limping the formation uh, at the beginning of the day, limping. And I remember people would start, Malingerer! you know, like calling me out saying I was faking it. Right. So what do you do? You just push through. Yeah. Well, back in the day, like it was the same thing. It was like, okay, well either, and then it's more life or death. You either train with your guys for the specific stuff, like room clearing land, whatever, right. For pre-deployment stuff, or you got physical therapy. And if you got physical therapy, you're going to let your guys down. You're going to get passed up for promotion. So um, thankfully today, it's a little bit more accepted, but it's just the realities of the job, man. I think if we were in that environment, you'd just be more inclined to train with your guys from a specific standpoint. So what ends up ha happening is they get sent to us because there's less distractions. We even encourage, like they go, you know, if they're close to one facility, that's where they operate out of. We recommend that they go to a completely different facility just so they're not too close to home. Um, that way they can focus on just getting better and there's no distractions. I'll give you a good example of what I'm talking about, like when I get sent to them, which I love doing, but uh, the, the ills rather. And I feel like a lot of guys will get this one. So I was teaching on this base and it was a, a base shared with uh, a different country. So it wasn't in the US proper. Um, but while I was there, a two-star, it may have even been a three-star general show up, surprise inspection. So I lose about a third of my guys so they can go, you know, handle that, uh, which as a veteran is like, yeah, I totally get it. Like, you got to go take care of that. Do what you got to do. Uh, and then uh, another day um, they left. I can't say too much. They left something on the on the uh, the host country side of the base overnight. And that that uh, they were freaking out. Right. Justifiably so. So then they had to go handle that, you know, so. And then next thing you know, I got these guys showing up halfway through the course. I'm like, wait, why are we warming up this way? Like, bro, you missed half the course. Like if you were here, but at the same time, I can't blame them for that. Yeah. So when they come to us, they come to us, that kind of, or oh, the, the big one that drives me crazy. Okay. Um, is, uh, oh, well, you know, Bobby, Bobby's doing that course on exercise. So let's pull him from that. Let's make him do this other thing since he's not doing anything. And that, that happens inevitably. So uh, that, that kind of, what I would <laughs> just drive, drives me crazy. But uh, when they come to us, all that kind of stuff is limited. Like that just, that just doesn't happen as much. Their job is to get better. They have, you know, access to massages. They have access to nutrition. They have access to physical therapy. Uh, as far as my role in that aspect, it's uh, movement skills. So teaching them movement mechanics on the field. So how, what is absolute speed? Or if you want to call it maximal velocity training, like speed endurance work, what is that supposed to look like? What's acceleration supposed to look like? What's change of direction or cutting supposed to look like? And then the other half is uh, the weight room stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so you can see how that experience coming here would be very hard to replicate when I'm going on base. When I go on base, it's a little different. It's more about teaching them those tools that they could do right then. Or uh, more importantly, in their setting, uh, how should they be thinking about their training? Right. Because here we have all the nice, fancy toys. Right. Like we have everything there is to to have inside a human performance setting. Uh, well, when you go back to your base, if I've shown you everything like the best situation ever, but all you have 
is a single rack, you know, like, okay, I, I failed. That's another thing, aspect of my job is I have to think about the environment they're going to. So did they answer that question? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool, Giovanni. And I, I completely understand and totally agree with you, like getting them out of their, their usual environment and getting them over to you guys as well so they can just completely focus on, you know, the rehabilitation and not getting drawn into other stuff with the the day-to-day -day politics of work and stuff on base and that as well, which is really interesting yeah. to hear, dude. Um, obviously, Giovanni, like, you know, you, you dedicated guy, you've, you've pushed hard throughout your career and stuff like that as well. I'm always interested to know for every guy and girl who comes on this uh, podcast, you know, what they're engaged in for their own CPD uh, in their own development. So on that, dude, can you give us a, a book, an app or website you personally found useful either in your own development or your own education? Oh, man, like I, I think for most of us, because we live in the world of self-improvement from a physical standpoint, mental is not unusual either. Right. So, I mean, if people are listening to this podcast, you know, they're working on their personal self-development. But um, so I say that because there's a lot. Right. So recently I'll say this back to our question around taxes. Right. And like public um, first responders and how why they don't are, in my opinion, underserved from a financial standpoint. Capital is the language that everybody understands, right? Money. Um, and when companies have to make decisions, that's the lens they're going to be looking through. So recently, I just finished up a Harvard Business School course, Certificate of Readiness, which is a business management primer. It's not because I'm planning on running a business. It's just I need to understand when those kinds of decisions are made, why? because I need to be able to communicate to them, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something I recently finished up. It was a lot of work, but certainly worth my time and anybody wanting to know more. I mean, there's universal lessons in there, like statistical analysis. Of course, the financial side understands statistical analysis. I think everybody in human performance understands the importance of that as well. So there's some certain universal principles that are shared. That was the other thing I wanted to know. It's like, what, is, what are the common principles being shared that we're already saying the same thing. If we understand those common principles, it's going to make me a better communicator, in my opinion. Um, as far as reading goes, I just started Agile Periodization. I can't remember the gentleman's name. I think his first name is Middley. And uh, Building the Elite uh, by Jonathan Pope and Craig Weller. Uh, I'm also, I had a friend of mine, PJ Dundas, who uh, is over on your side of the pond, runs Methodical Movement Systems. Uh, he said that he can tell where a person is in the in the field based on what they're reading, because are they still reading about the X's and O's, i.e. agile periodization, or are they branching out? So the book, I'm, I'm actually proud that I finished it because it took so dang long, is uh, The Power Broker. It's a biography on, on a man named Robert Moses. It's written by a man named Robert Caro. Robert Moses is the man who built New York, and uh, he has more public projects to his name highways, bridges, parks, et cetera, than anybody else in history. And that's in New York City. And if we think about how bureaucratic New York City might be, how hard it would be to build something like a park, a single park, the kind of person that can do that, I think there's a lot of lessons there as far as the nature of power, hubris, and most importantly, communication mm -hmm. um, in order to get what you want. And I, I used to read Robert Greene. I love Robert Greene. But I started, especially with his later stuff, I started getting a sense of like, well, you know, he's getting all these anecdotes from real people. Let me actually look up these people and read about them myself. So those are the things that probably come to mind. I also read fiction as well, <laughs> but uh, that's more for entertainment reasons. So I think right, right now I'm reading Circe, 
which I don't really know, know too much about. And actually, my favorite book right now that I'm actually reading right now is called The Tiger. Okay. And uh, again, lessons, universal principles. It's kind of a, it's based on fact. It's a true story about a tiger in Far East Russia that gets hurt. Uh, it happened in the late 90s, I believe, and <laughs> participates in an act of pre premeditated murder. This, this tiger's kill is stolen by this guy named Markov. This, I'm not, it's not a spoiler alert, in my opinion, because it's a true story. But uh, uh, this guy, Markov, steals this line, uh, this tiger's kill. The tiger learns where this guy lives based on smell, right? Goes to his outhouse, realizes that the guy already had the boar. So he destroys the outhouse, eats all the poop in there because he smells the boar and it's his. Uh -huh. Goes to his place, wrecks his place, waits for him for, around, I want to say around 12 to 17 hours until Markov shows up. He takes care of Markov, right? Uh, but the act that a, ti or a tiger would wait for somebody, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to wait for this guy to show up. I mean, it's the book goes into perestroika and like the economy and why somebody might poach and like the nature of tigers. It talks about perspective. So that's been on my mind a lot. Uh, so that I hope that I probably nailed that with a sledgehammer, but that's what's on my mind right now as far as education goes. Nice so, Self-education. That, that's awesome, Jim. That's a, that's a great list, dude. That's a great list, dude. Um, I'll definitely put all those in our show notes so everyone can check them out as well, dude. That's really cool. Um, obviously, Giovanni, it's been great chatting to you, dude. Wealth of knowledge as well. For anyone who's listening, you know, either wants to follow up with some questions or just to reach out, you know, what's the best way they can do that? Great. Yeah, I got Instagram, evolve underscore two underscore rise. Uh, you can always Google me. I'm sure you'll find me there. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, I don't really use Facebook. I have it. But if you want to get a hold of me easily, probably Instagram is the best way. Cool. That's awesome, Giovanni. Thank you very much, man. I'll pop them in our show notes, dude, as well. Uh, once again, mate, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know it took us a, it took us a minute to get things uh, lined up with our schedules, but it's, it's proved worthwhile, dude. I mean, it's been awesome, Chanty, dude. Great, man. I'm uh, happy to help. Thank you very much, Giovanni. Take care, buddy. You too. Hi, guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. To continue supporting us, can I ask you to do me a simple favor? First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.